this is Tom Bailey, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Kevin Allison. The biggest thing is, we want people to zero in on very specific incidents. So, you know, like the afternoon of the car crash, or the night that you lost your virginity. You may remember Kevin was in the state. He now has a very successful podcast and live storytelling show called Risk. We're going to talk to him in a few minutes. Fascinating conversation. We have a song of the week coming up from Rat Boy. And uh, I was teaching the young people podcasting, as I sometimes do on a Saturday afternoon slash morning. And uh, one of the parents came up and said, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And she said, I really enjoyed uh, the one dumb bit. So uh, guess what? That's what you get for your dumb bit, uh, plus one other. Tonight, it's the home remodeling program for the rest of us. It's HGTV's This House is Fine, Just the Way It Is. Hello. Oh, your colors are great. Your furniture looks both stylish and comfortable. And I love the window treatment. This house is fine just the way it is. So long. This house is fine just the way it is on HGTV. Followed by, oh my God, what did you do to my living room? First, there was Vanilla Coke. Then, Pepsi jumped on the bandwagon with Pepsi Vanilla. And now, Pepsi is trying to rip off Coke in an even bigger way. Introducing Pepsi Coke. It's Pepsi with the flavor of Coke. Mmm, I haven't had Pepsi this good since the last time I had a Coke. That's because the can says Pepsi, but the taste says Coke. Wow, Pepsi Coke is awesome. See, some 20-something gulped it down and said it was awesome, so it's gotta be good. And it comes in every possible variety. There's Diet Pepsi Coke 1, Caffeine-Free Pepsi Coke, Caffeine-Free Diet Pepsi Coke, Cherry Pepsi Coke, Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue, and Caffeine-Free Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue with Caffeine. Wow, I had no idea the taste of all my favorite Pepsi flavors would taste better with a taste of Coke. Take the Pepsi Coke taste test today and see if you can tell if you're tasting Pepsi or Coke or both. Pepsi Coke. It's the Pepsi name you know with the taste of Coke you love. Kevin Allison was originally in the state along with Michael Ian Black and so many others. Uh, We spoke to Michael, of course, uh, a couple of months back. And here now is our interview with Kevin Allison. I I have like seven jobs and I'm doing three of them today and I I guess I just kind of (laughs) spaced. Yeah, no, I hear you. You know, I think uh, so much of what everyone, well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of us do is so much multitasking amongst various streams. (laughs) You got that right. (laughs) That is a fact, yeah. Um, I spoke to your buddy Michael Ian Black a couple of months ago. In fact, he was in town uh, like two years ago to do our uh, Headline Our Comedy Festival here. And um, I didn't know you were from Cincinnati, though, until your publicist sent me uh, that lovely pitch. (laughs) <laughs> about risk coming in. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, the truth is, is that risk, my show, is so uncensored. It's extremely adult in nature sometimes, you know. There can be some really kinky stories or some really violent stories or just some really emotionally raw stories on the show or just some outrageously funny in a, in a, 
kind of non-politically correct sort of way sometimes. And so I've never brought it to Cincinnati because I was afraid that my parents would be terrified of the <laughs> show if they actually saw it. But now my parents are at that age where they really can't make it out. So we're finally bringing the show to Cincinnati. Although maybe don't put that in the article. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they might, someone might Uber them over there and say, well, hell, it's... It's over there on short yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no problem. Yeah, they're thrilled. They're thrilled that I've had the success that I've had with the show and with teaching storytelling and all that. But I've warned them. Yeah, you know, it's like, look, you know, some of these stories are just too intense for some people's taste, especially you know, some people around their age. Yeah, well, cer- certainly. Um, and so you uh, grew up on the the west side, I reckon, because you went to St. X. Yeah, I grew up in Westwood, and I went to St. X. Uh, I had a very, very positive experience over at St. X. You know, I, in fact, I tell a story uh, that is mostly based in and around St. X on risk, a story called Man at Hawaii. is about when I went on a school trip with the Jesuit down to Peru when I was 17, uh, to, you know, kind of a mission trip to build housing for the poor down there. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it was such a mind-blowing experience that all these years later I thought, man, i got to share that story on the podcast. And, in fact, that is one of the stories that I have shared with my parents because, you know, it's a nice, wholesome-sounding story. <laughs> it's it all is, under yeah, it the is. Yeah. of the Jesuits. <laughs> Nothing to be scared of there. So, did you go to um, uh, college in in the area, or did you go out of town for college? No, after Saint X, I went to NYU. I, you know, was really determined to create some sort of career in the arts, whether it be behind a camera or writing or acting. So I went to the film school at NYU. And, you know, I joke about this a lot in my stories on risk, but when I left Cincinnati in 1988, uh, I felt like the city was not very, you know, I, I think the city has come a long way, has grown up a lot over the years. But in 1988, when I left Cincinnati, I, I felt like it was difficult to be gay. And I was very excited to go to a city where I could explore being gay and out and as adventurous as I wanted to be around all that. And I knew that New York City was the place to do it. <laughs> well, def- yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it, it, it definitely has uh, changed a lot. I mean, I uh, it, weirdly, um, I work for a, a T-shirt company here in town. And uh, we have a shirt that says Cincy in, uh, in block letters. We have one version that's in rainbow uh, design, the letters are. And uh, a kid in Israel was actually wearing one of our shirts. When, you might have heard of this guy. When he got asked to leave by, I believe it was in Tel Aviv, he asked, a restaurant owner asked him to leave because he was wearing uh, gay pride uh, rainbow colors. Wow, yeah. that's intense. Yeah. Yeah, this has been really interesting because, you know, when we come to a city, we put out a call on the podcast. So, you know, so for a couple of months now, I've been announcing on the podcast, hey, guys, we're coming to Cincinnati, so pitch us your stories. 
And it's been really interesting to see the range of experience that people want to share stories about in Cincinnati. Um, you know, people of color, uh, trans people, um, you know, people wanting to talk about uh, having different sorts of experiences around religion. Um, so it's, it's, I, I, it always amazes me that we do the show once a month in New York and once a month in Los Angeles, but the truth is, if I'm being completely honest, most of our very best stories come not from New York or Los Angeles. They come from, you know, cities like Cincinnati where people have these incredibly full and fascinating lives going on that maybe they don't have the opportunity to share about in public all that often. And so there's a real sort of experience of, hey, I'm taking a risk here. I'm, I'm really going to, like, open up about this. And it makes our shows out on the road so invigorating and exciting and moving. So I really can't think. We, we have not passed the Cincinnati show yet. We, we've got so many pitches for it that we're still working our way through them to decide, you know, which stories. Because we always want an evening of risk to be like, one or two hilarious stories, maybe one that's really scary and compelling, uh, maybe one that's like beautiful or profound or heartbreaking. We like to kind of make an evening of risk an emotional roller coaster ride. And how often do you get to tour it to other cities? I know you said you have the dedicated shows in LA and New York, but how often do you get to go to other towns? To, I would say an average of two different cities each month, right? So in okay. February, it's Cincinnati and Cleveland. Oh, cool. um, yeah, and then the next month, there's, uh, there's a few shows. There's Indianapolis and Madison and I think Milwaukee and maybe even Minneapolis. So yeah, we do an awful lot of touring, actually. Um, and it keeps us super, super busy, I'll tell you that. So is this like kind of your main focus now? I mean, what are the things? I know you have your hand in a lot of, uh, in a lot of pies, as it were. <laughs> Maybe a bad choice of words when you think about it. But um, uh, what, what other things are, are you doing these days apart from you know, running this? Well, that's the thing. So, so I am the owner of Risk and a sister company called The Story Studio. So that's our education wing. Uh, we teach people storytelling either one-on-one -on -one or through video courses or in group workshops, and we do a lot of corporate workshops. A lot of, sometimes people are surprised when they hear that because they think, oh, my God, the stories on risk are so uncensored. It wouldn't be appropriate uh, to talk like that in the business world. But what we say is, oh, yeah, of course, you know, like, the principles of storytelling remain the same in different contexts. You just have to make sure you're addressing the particular audience you're speaking to. So, you know, uh, we teach business people how to speak in a far more human and emotional and kind of beginning, middle, and end sort of framework kind of way. Um, so, yeah, between Risk and the Story Studio, that keeps me about as busy as I can be. We just put out a risk book. It's called 
risk, true stories people never thought they'd dare to share. Uh, we just put out a series of a, kind of another storytelling series, but very similar to Rip, via Amazon. So those are stories you can listen to on your Kindle or listen to and or read along on your Kindle. Uh, that series is called This Can't Be Happening on Amazon. And we're even talking about TV possibilities now. So we did stay super busy with it all. So what's the, the biggest challenge to people in, in telling a story? I know the problem I have is staying on track. I usually have to like practice and, and self-edit myself a lot and say, yeah, this isn't really important to the story and, and, and kind of weeding things out like that. Is that the big challenge people have? Well, uh, there are various challenges that people have. That One of the things is on risk, if a person is going to appear on risk, we go over their story with them several times. So... The biggest thing is we want people to zero in on very specific incidents. So, you know, like the afternoon of the car crash or the night that you lost your virginity. And then we want that person, we we have to kind of poke and prod at, at our storytellers, a little bit like a therapist would be, where we'll ask questions like, okay, but can you remember like, what it felt like in your body at that moment, or, or were there any unusual smells in the room, or uh, what was the lighting like? Like we really want to bring people uh, to kind of take us there to kind of cinematically re-experience these peak moments from their life. Um, so yeah, it does take some time to craft this story so that you are staying on track and you know there's always some meaning that people end up gleaning out of going back (laughs) going back through these experiences too you know like you can't help once you start unpacking your memories you start having kind of realizations too and so it's important to kind of like figure out how how much of that to express as well of what this story means to you now. So is, can it be kind of like a, a catharsis or like a, a rediscovery? or, uh, or like... yeah, Absolutely. It's very, very interesting. You know, some people like me who tell stories for a living, so, so I have to tell story after story after story, um, you become super aware <laughs> that there are lessons that you've had to learn and relearn and relearn and relearn throughout your whole life. Like, we are creatures of habit and we learn slowly and there are patterns to the choices that we usually make. So it's kind of fascinating to look back and realize, oh, I'm making the exact same mistakes in this story as I made in that one from when I was in high school, you know? So, yeah, it, it, it's very illuminating that way to, to start to look at yourself in terms of, like, watching movies of your life, you know. And so you say not all the stories are embarrassing. They can be, but these, there's a, some are you know, sweet and some are funny, and so it's, it's, it's a nice variety of tales, you're saying. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the, one of the ideas is that Whenever someone is listening to the Risk podcast, you know, you can, you can download the Risk podcast anywhere you get podcasts, or you can find it on our website at risk-show.com. Um, 
any given episode is bound to have like one story that's like, oh my god, this is terrifying. Is this a ghost story or oh gosh, this is this is traumatic. I don't know if you know <laughs> I can even listen to this right now. Um, but then there will be a story that's purely just like, oh my god, the release is just pure laughter. And then there will often be a story that's like, oh my gosh, that was just gorgeous. That was beautiful. So we really want to make the listener feel like they have this incredibly full range of emotion and lived experience to call from when they're listening to the show. And, and there's also an element of unpredictability about it. Sometimes the story will... You know, like the first half of a story will be laugh out loud funny and then surprise, something tragic happens. And that, too, is how life can be, you know? Do you ever find yourself being kind of a detective in a way, even in your own story? Because I was trying to uh, sort through some stuff that happened to me, you know, a a couple of years ago. Uh, Well, actually a long time, almost like 20 years ago. And... um, and as I remember things, I almost had to become kind of a detective and kind of Google things that happen around that and look at old calendars and go, this must have happened in this order and, and things like that. And then as I did that, it started, you know, some things started to make more sense. And, you know, when you put the events together, you know, in, in the order you think they happened, it it's, becomes very enlightening. Is there that level of detail to the, the story construction? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's very, it's very common to have told yourself just in your head that this is the way such and such a thing happened. But then when you actually sit down and start trying to put some of it on paper or you record yourself saying it into a recording device and you look back at the words and you start to realize, wait a minute, there's a gap here. There's a whole day, I think, that was between these two events. What was I doing during that day? And so often... I'll go back to friends or other people who were lived through those experiences with me, and they'll be like, no, you've got it totally wrong. And, and both of us might be wrong, you know? So it's very interesting to kind of, you know, piece together the sense that you make out of your memories versus how other people remember things as well. And, you know... Uh, there's that, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Life of Pi or read the book Life of Pi. There is that idea of no story is going to be completely journalistically accurate because total accuracy is so impossible to nail down. Uh, the idea ultimately is to work on a story that you feel is is as true as you can get it emotionally, you know, that where you feel like, no, this is how I really feel things went, and this is what I really make of my experience. It's funny, too, because um, I start not to trust my memory after a while, because I'm, I'm probably about three, four years older than you, and I remember listening to um, uh, Mike Greenberg on ESPN Radio one day. I listen to a lot of sports radio, but I happened to have him on, and he was talking about uh, interviewing one of the Chicago Bears from the Super Bowl team, and his buddy, his partner goes, "You you couldn't have interviewed him. He wasn't on the team that year." And he's like, "No, no, I swear." And he looked the bet, looked it up, and he's like, "Oh, you're right." And he goes, "I would have bet anything in the world. I was right about this. I interviewed him during that Super Bowl season, but he wasn't on the team." And I started to think to myself, "Wait, am I doing that too?" When I'm trying to go back through all this stuff, is my memory faulty? 
my gosh, there is a story that is in the Risk book. It's it's a story of mine called Tam and Samurai, and it's about uh, I, I, this like one night stand that I had with this guy when I was very young in New York City when I was about eighteen years old in New York City, and. One day I was going over the story in my head. I had been telling the story for years, you know, on risk and in front of live audiences. And one day I was walking around that neighborhood and just kind of like remembering little bits of the story. And I realized, oh my gosh, I, I took two different one night stands and made them into one. Wow. <laughs> like some part of my brain had taken one character that I used to know and added him to another character that I only met one night and, and made them into one person. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, can I keep telling that story that way? You know, <laughs> now that I know that those are actually two different people that I turned into one. <laughs> Did it become two different stories at that point then? No, I just kept telling it the way I originally told it because there was enough of it that I was like, okay, to, to like, I don't remember all the details well enough to like completely uh, okay. nail down which was which. You know, I mean, it was it was an era of my life where I was having a lot of one night stands, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I hear you. Um, well, it sounds like a, it's going to be a good show here in Cincinnati, and um, I, it, we jumped into this conversation so quickly, I forgot to ask you up front. Although I did ask Sheila if it would be okay to use this uh, interview on my podcast. If that's okay with you. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And then, uh, well, I'll let the podcast listener go at this point then, because I want to ask you something else uh, sort of off the air, as they say. But um, folks can, if, if folks around the country listening to the podcast, where can they – Risk has its own website, right? They say they can find tour dates and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Risk-show.com is our website, and that lists where all of our live shows are. Okay. You can also look us up on any of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Risk Show. Cool. All right. Well, like I said, I'll leave the podcast listener uh, there and see you guys on the other side for the song of the week. Again, Kevin Allison for being on the show. You can catch Risk live. It's here it's in Cleveland, Ohio, Thursday, February seventh. Here in Cincinnati, February eighth. That's a Friday, and then uh, the following week it's in Los Angeles for those LA shows, and then uh, the twenty-eighth, New York City, and then back on the road, March second for Indianapolis, March fifteenth for Milwaukee. For all of your risk needs, go to risk-show.com, and you can find the podcast. I recommend where you find podcasts. I Stitcher and that sort of affair. All right, so usual plugs. Uh, nearly Liza, no new videos yet, but coming up, she just got uh, Adobe Photoshop on the whole suite, so she may be able to do videos a lot more easily. Uh, check Check Hayes' blog. Check Check that out. How <laughs> about that? And uh, we've now come to the song of the week. And the song of the week is by Ratboy. He is uh, from the UK. This is a, a nearly Liza discovery, and uh, we've really been enjoying Ratboy. His second album was just released. It's internationally unknown. He released a, a single of the same name back in the fall. It was followed by Chip on My Shoulder. And then Don't Hesitate is the single that came out in January, and Annie Mack played it on her show on Radio 1. But uh, after listening to the album, uh, I'm really digging uh, this tune right here. It really puts me in the mind 
of the uh, specials, early madness kind of, and I think it comes from the fact that uh, he's mixed up with a group from Los Angeles called the Interrupters, who he'll be touring with this spring. Uh, they are the headliner. He is the uh, second feature. He's the middle feature, and I think they've kind of had an influence on him as well. And this song is called "Follow Your Heart." Like I said, uh, sorry folks, there's a bit of a glitch there. I don't know what happened, but anyway, like I was saying about this, this is uh, very much in the mind of early specials. Uh, and Madness, and kind of the early uh, second wave of ska groups, two-tone groups there, and like I said, I reckon it's because he's been touring with the Interrupters, who are, I guess, the uh, fourth generation of ska now, and they'll be touring this spring, uh, like I said. So here we go. Here is our song of the week on PF's Tape Recorder, Follow Your Heart, Rat Boy, PF's Tape Recorder, so long, and thanks for listening. It's a crazy world that we live in. Got yourself out. Follow your heart. 